0: All right. Well, good morning. It is a joy that you are here with us today. If you do not know me, or this is your first time here, or maybe you've been here before in the past and you're like, who is this guy? Uh, My name is Austin. I have the honor and joy of being one of the pastors here at this church. And I am just so glad to be celebrating this day with you. Um, A brief introduction about us as a people and our church and just some things you can expect if you hang around with us a little bit longer than today. The first is that we just really think that Jesus matters and that he is significantly important to the life of the believer. The second is we believe that Jesus has saved a people into a community with one another And the third is that that community then goes out in mission to invite others to the table. This is key to our identity, that we think Jesus is a big deal. That he has saved a people into a community and he has sent them out together. But another thing we believe that I think is really important for you to get, maybe this is your first time at a church and you heard that Easter was a good day to try it out. Um, which is true, it is a pretty good day to try it out. Uh, We believe that over 2,000 years ago, a man rose from the dead and we've staked our entire identity on that. Our entire identity on that. And we believe that that truth, that over 2,000 years ago, a man rose from the dead literally changes everything. If you have your Bible, uh, would you open with me to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, it's gonna be on the screen behind me, but Mark chapter 16. We're gonna read verses one through eight. And if you would all stand, and we'll read together as is our practice. Mark 16 verses one through eight. One, two, three, read. When the Sabbath was passed, me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Our God in heaven this morning, we are a people uh, desperately in need of a savior. We are a people on a guaranteed street towards death. We are a people who need resurrection hope. And so this morning as we study your word together, as we are confronted by the truths in it, may it bring life change. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church through the words that we have just read this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I wanna lay all my cards out on the table for you this morning. Uh, I, I really do not care if you thought the worship sounded great. I really do not care if you think that I preach a good sermon. I really, really, really care if you see Jesus, the power of his resurrection and that your life changes because of it. Let me rephrase what I'm saying. It does not matter to me if we all have a good time this morning, (laughs) if we leave here unchanged. And it does not matter to me if we hear people's approval, if we leave here without encountering the risen Christ. Amen. Amen. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, if it is true, it changes everything. It changes everything. Let me say that again. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, it changes everything. Now, many of us in this room have experienced life changing circumstances. Some of them are more significant than others. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are moments in your life where something changed and it changed everything else in your life. So maybe this could be something as simple as you've graduated high school and you're going away to college. Your life looks different now. Your life is changing. And maybe there's some nervous excitement that goes along with that, but what you know is certain is that something in your life is about to shift. Maybe it's something like you uh, got a job in a new city, and so you and your family pack your bags, you move to the new city, and you now have to start all over. New house, new town, new city, new routes to school, new routes to work, new friends. Life-changing. Maybe uh, you got married and it's a celebration. You've gone from being a me to an us, and now you can't just tell your friends yes to everything. You have to say, let me check with my spouse. Hold on a second. Everything changes. Your decisions affect somebody else intimately and deeply. Maybe you had kids, and now all your friends are wondering why you're just disappearing every night at 7.30 p.m. Maybe your marriage is ending and you're stuck in this moment of asking the question, what does my life look like now? Life-changing. Maybe you've received a negative diagnosis or there's been death in the family. And you have to face life with a whole host of new questions that were never on your mind before. Questions of wills and future plans and life insurance and what will we do without this person when the holiday rolls around? There are certain things in life that when they happen can change everything, including your entire outlook. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, It is indeed one of those things that changes everything. Now, it is not too hard. Hear me when I say this. It is not too hard to click Christianity as your religion when filling out a survey. Or to buy a coffee mug that has a frothy verse that kind of makes you feel good about yourself in the morning. It's not too hard to do that. Associating with Jesus' words when it's convenient for you does not change much. A coffee mug in the cabinet, a shirt that you got at a concert doesn't change much. A check mark on a survey, even an offhanded comment, yeah, I'm a Christian as you go on your day, does not change much. And that's not even what the Bible would call Christianity. It's not what the Bible would call saving faith. In fact, what Christianity is, is it's an association with Jesus. It's associating with Jesus. And here's the reality of associating with Jesus. Associating with Jesus in his life is uncomfortable. Associating with Jesus in his death Is dangerous. And associating with Jesus in his resurrection is life changing. That's my outline today. Those three statements. Associating with Jesus in his life is uncomfortable. Associating with Jesus in his death is dangerous and associating with Jesus and his resurrection is life changing. So let's deal with that first one. Associating with Jesus in his life is uncomfortable. We've probably heard this verse before, but in case you haven't, Mark 8.34 says, and calling the crowds to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You see, taking up a cross is not simply putting on a necklace. It is actually making a conscious decision to say, I'm headed towards death. And it's uncomfortable to do that. Here in our story today, in Mark chapter 16, we have a few women in the story. And these are women who have followed Jesus as a teacher they have followed Jesus as a teacher, and following him as a teacher has been uncomfortable. It involved denial of self. It meant saying, "I'm not in charge of my life anymore." And here in our story today, these women who have spent significant time with Jesus in his life, Mary of Magdalene, or Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joe uh, James, and then Salome, they have spent countless. Hours with Jesus in his life. We know from biblical context that these are women who helped fund Jesus' ministry. They had given up much for multiple years to follow Jesus. They had taken on the uncomfortable life of a disciple of Christ. All who followed Christ were invited into that same thing, denial, giving up of self. Associating with Jesus in his life was uncomfortable. It means looking at the way that we live and asking whether or not it lines up with his life and his teaching and more often than not, the answer to that question for you and I is typically, no it doesn't. I don't look very much like Jesus. And that's uncomfortable it is uncomfortable to live in light of who Jesus is and who he is inviting us to be. It's uncomfortable. Throughout the book of Mark, which we're in this morning, following Jesus meant following him to his death. There's ideas of denial, of death, of following a leader saying, I'm not in charge. And none of that makes us as a people feel comfortable. None of it. I know this because I have a toddler who does not like denying his desires. And on display in my toddler is my own heart. It's interesting, we have a nine month old baby girl now. And first off, girls are more feisty than men. I don't care what anybody says. (laughs) I'll make that blanket statement and I'll hold to it. Our, our nine month old girl, she moves, she is quick, she is a crawler, she wants to go do her own thing at any given moment and there's, um, we have tried multiple times to move the dog's water bowl and the dog's food bowl to where she wouldn't find it normally. And and this thing continues to happen where she finds the water bowl, she finds the food bowl, and she beelines directly for it. And she's faster than most of the people in the house. Uh, And so by the time we've noticed what she's doing, she's already over there. And we start to tell her, we start to say, Amora, all done. And she looks at us and she goes. (laughs) Now, It is hard not to laugh at that defiance (laughs) as a father. But then she continues, She, she puts her hand up, sometimes she'll listen, very rarely, but then she turns back to the dog bowl and she goes for it and every time when we go to grab her and we pull her away, she stiffens out her body and she screams at you. At nine months old, this beautiful feisty little child of mine with rebellion in her heart, already. She wants to do her own thing. And my friends, may I be completely honest with you, so do you. You wanna do your own thing. You want the dog bowl with the water and the food in it even though you know it's not good for you or you're just denying that it's not good for you. And here's, here's the invitation of life in response to Christ, admitting that what I want for myself is not the right thing. Denying myself, taking on Jesus as my leader and following him and responding in obedience when he says, all done. It's uncomfortable. Associating with Jesus in his life is uncomfortable. And associating with Jesus in his death is dangerous. When Jesus is arrested to be taken to his death, there's this interesting feature in the story that we're not super familiar with. Some of us are. Um, But all of his followers abandon him, they run away. Why? Why would they run away from Jesus? Isn't he the guy with the frothy Bible verses that makes you feel better about yourself? Why would you run away from that dude? Hippie Jesus in a van, peace, love, and happiness. Why would you run away from him? Because these people know who are following Jesus that if they are caught following him, their fate is the exact same as their master's. It's the exact same. There is one person in the story of Mark who actually continues to follow him. It happens in Mark chapter uh, 14. It's this really obscure story where a young man follows Jesus and then he's caught following Jesus and they grab him and he like takes off his clothes and run, runs away. It's an incredible story that this man went from following Jesus and instead of following Jesus, to the cross he runs away because it's dangerous to follow Jesus and he runs away naked and afraid. The women in our passage today who open up this story for us, they actually did follow Jesus to the cross but if we're careful to pay attention to the story, it says they followed at a distance. A careful distance because to get too close was dangerous getting too close to the cross, getting too close to Jesus in his death is a dangerous thing. And those who associated with Christ in his death would have suffered the same fate. And so all of them run away. All of them run away. This is Really important because it helps us to see something that is happening in the cross What's happening in the cross is even though all have denied and abandoned him. He still goes to the cross for those people What's happening in the cross is Jesus is taking on the punishment for our sins So those moments where we say really want the dog bowl gonna go for it and then respond in rebellion when we're caught That's what Jesus goes to the cross for. Apply your own specific dog bowl scenario there. He takes on those things for us. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Associating with Jesus in his death is dangerous because we are claiming that in the cross of Christ, not only did cross, Christ die, but we died. We're claiming his death for ourselves. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Kim, um, who sang up here this morning, she teaches in our, our uh, middle school uh, midweek class on Wednesdays. Um, and this is just a quick shout out. Kim is, I, th- I think, one of the best Bible teachers that I've ever heard. And so if you have middle schoolers who are not attending on Wednesday nights, they are missing out. And I would encourage you to get them here on Wednesday nights. Uh, you will not regret it. Um, Kim, she was teaching this last Wednesday and she used a quote from Martin Luther that I think is absolute gold. Martin Luther says this. Um, he says, when the devil comes knocking, Uh, the response to him is Martin Luther doesn't live here anymore. Jesus Christ has moved in. Martin Luther doesn't live here anymore. Jesus Christ has moved in. To be associated with Jesus in his death is dangerous because it means that you are dying. (laughs) Kicked out of the house, Jesus Christ has moved in. You no longer live here anymore. The punishment for your sins has been paid. The old you is gone. Behold, the new has come. Christ has moved in. But that involves continual denial and continual death. And that is dangerous and uncomfortable. It's dangerous work. Associating with Jesus in his resurrection is life-changing. Life-changing. If the resurrection is real, this is how we started out. If the resurrection is real, then that means everything changes. If the resurrection of Jesus is real, everything changes. So, if the resurrection is real, how do we know that the resurrection is real? Well... For one, the grave was empty. The grave clothes were neatly left behind. The stone enclosing the tomb was rolled away. Notice in our text what the conflict is. As the women are going to the, to the, st- to the tomb, they're like, man, who's gonna roll this away from us, for us? It, it's too big, it's, it's a very large stone. Who will roll this away? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. (laughs) The small detail in the text to draw our attention that the stone was rolled away. Here's another thing. Um, The body of Jesus still to this day has never been found even though we have countless historical accounts that Jesus actually lived. Still can't find the body. The grave had been guarded by Roman soldiers. If somebody were to come and try to steal that, they would have been taken out. Historical and biblical accounts tell us that over 500 people claimed to have seen a resurrected Christ, bodily resurrected Christ. And no one ever in the history of the world has said, you know what, we did it. We we stole Jesus' body, let's turn ourselves in. Finally, as we've been just talking, we have individuals who have completely abandoned Jesus because it's been uncomfortable and it's been dangerous, and they just want nothing to do with that. They've run away because it's, a, it's uncomfortable and it's dangerous. And then here in this moment, we have a resurrected Christ We have fear from these women. And as we'll find out later on in the biblical storyline, we have people that run towards death, not away from death, because they claim they've seen Jesus risen again from the grave. And that movement of them claiming they've seen Jesus risen from the dead has turned the entire world on its head to the point where now, 2,000 years later, you and I have decided Sunday morning sounds like a good time to go to church instead of go eat a great Easter brunch deal that somebody somebody might be putting on right now. Somehow, abandonment and denial turned into a movement that turned the world upside down. The evidence in this story that these disciples are the type of people that could go start a world movement is slim to none. Remember, they're abandoning and denying. The resurrection is real. It does not make sense that the people who abandoned Jesus when he was being crucified for fear of their lives would make a drastic turnaround to running towards death if Jesus had not been resurrected. And So we can confidently say the resurrection is real, but saying that is not enough. Simple facts are not enough. Simple truths are not enough. I can say I'm wearing a pink tie and that does not change any of your lives. The resurrection is real and the implications of it change everything. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells us, uh, Paul's having a conversation with people about, that, that are denying the resurrection. They're saying it never happened. And Paul comes into that conversation and he says these words. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God. So essentially, if Jesus hasn't been raised, we're liars because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. If Jesus has not been resurrected, then God's a liar, we're liars, your faith doesn't make any sense. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if your Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Put simply, if Christ has not been raised, then today is just about eggs and hot cross buns, and there's no point in any of us being here right now. There's no point in it. But because the resurrection is real, it changes everything. The resurrection is life-changing. Look at verses six and seven of our passage today. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay, I'll read it. It says this, it says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee there you will see him just as he told you. I want to make a couple of observations from this text. First, he is not here. He is risen. This is the only time you will ever find Christians celebrating that Jesus's presence is not there. It's the only time ever you'll be celebrating that Jesus is not somewhere because we're celebrating that he is in fact, missing from the tomb, and he is alive. The second observation I want to make is the restorative power of the resurrection. The first thing I think we need to note is that women are given the charge as resurrection emissaries. They're given the charge to go and take the good news of Jesus' resurrection to the disciples. Now, here's why this is really restorative. Because the way that Christians see the world is we believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it was good and in the beginning he created man and he created woman and he put them in the garden to live there together with God. And in the garden there was a condition. You can eat of anything except for the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil. The enemy, Satan, he comes to the woman and he tells her, he says, did God really say that? Certainly, God just doesn't want you to be like Him. And the woman takes and she eats of the fruit. She gives it to her husband who was with her. It's a fascinating story. But what's even more fascinating is the contrast throughout the narrative of Scripture in the value that God places on women even up to this point in our text today where God gives the first job in the new creation, the resurrection life to women to go proclaim the word to the disciples. It's incredibly restorative. The fall comes through a woman disobeying the word of God. Essentially the world's broken because a woman eats of the fruit, disobeys the word of God. And now women are the first invited into the redemptive work of proclaiming the word of God to the disciples. How beautifully restorative is that? That Jesus and God in the, in the plan of history, God's response to brokenness is not, eh, nothing to do with you anymore but instead invites them to be a key part of the work and a restorative part of the work. Throughout the Bible, God is just continuing to uplift and value women. God deeply values women, which should tell us something as a people about how we're to think of women, that God seems to deeply value them and uplift them and and hold them up. And here he brings restorative value to them, inviting them to be the first resurrection emissaries, the first to tell the good news of what he's done. It's incredible. Continuing in this observation of the restorative power, I want us to notice something. Did you um, catch when I talked about the fact that there was one man who followed Jesus? He was a young man he followed Jesus even after all the disciples had fled and then he was seized and he was seized and his clothes were torn from him and he fled naked and afraid it's this fascinating picture because here in the tomb who's there? a young man and a young man clothed in a white robe now I'm not arguing that those are the same person I I don't think they are But the author is going out of its way, desperately trying to communicate that something restorative is happening. That those who once ran, afraid, unclothed, are now here telling people do not be afraid, clothed in white robes. It's restorative, it's reversal, it's cluing us into something. Something beautiful is happening in the resurrection. God has so far in this text through the resurrection of Jesus Christ restored something that has been broken for thousands of years and then he's just going to extra effort to tell us that by showing us this young man clothed in a white robe. And then he continues in this narrative. He tells the disciples and Peter. He he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, why is this significant? Because all of them abandoned him and Peter denied him. Peter said, I want nothing to do with this Jesus. I don't know him. Don't associate me with him. He's too uncomfortable. He's too dangerous. And Jesus in his resurrection sends a message. Notice this does not say Go find me different followers. No. Jesus wants his disciples to know the good news that their abandonment and denial of him is not the final statement of their life. The resurrection is that even though they abandoned, even though they denied, Jesus still went to the cross and he has broken the powers of sin and shame, rising again condemning death to death and inviting people back into the restorative power of his kingdom. We have disciples who abandoned Jesus and deny Jesus and Jesus still desires to bring about new life in them. If you hear nothing today, I want you to know that Jesus is not done with you. He is not done with you. He has restoration in mind for you regardless of whether you've ignored or abandoned or run away or screamed at him when he took you from the food bowl. He's not done with you. Notice the women's response in this text. This is my final observation that I think is going is to guide us through the rest of our sermon today. It's really an interesting response. Now, um, if you have a Bible that's faithful to Scripture, or or that's a good translation, um, they should tell you that verses 9 through 20 in Mark chapter 16 uh, were not in the earliest manuscripts. So uh, any honest scholar will tell you that Mark ends in verse 8. Mark ends in verse 8. And so this is the ending of the book. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The women's response, it's fear, it's running away, it's silent, it's a unique literary device at play here. Throughout the entire book, Jesus has been doing miraculous things and he's been telling people, don't say anything to anyone. And then they run away overjoyed and they say everything to everyone. It's like direct disobedience to to Jesus. And then here, Jesus does his final act, his greatest miracle, and the command is to go and tell, and the women run away afraid and silent. What's going on here? Why would you end the book this way? Well, he ended the book this way because he's going out of his way to help us see the fact that Jesus and his resurrection changes everything. The response prior to Jesus' miracles was overjoyed, excitement, telling everyone. The resurrection and the response to that is silence and not telling anyone. Something happens in the resurrection of Jesus that radically reshapes the way we view life that radically reshapes the way we respond to Christ. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then here's what that means. And here's what these women would have carried with them as they heard the news Jesus has been raised from the dead as they run away for fear and for trembling. And they run away with silence. This is what they would have known. They would have known that Jesus really is the Son of God. That he really did pay the price for sins. That he really did give his life as a ransom for many. That he really was innocent and in his death he condemns death. That he really does offer eternal life and resurrection hope to all who call upon him and he really does hold authority over life and death and if Jesus has been raised from the dead it changes everything and if that news does not shock you in some way then you must not be listening to the word of God if that doesn't do something to you like if that doesn't move you in in, in a specific way then you are in direct rebellion to God And my friends hear me Why would the women run away in fear? Because if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then there really is something after death. There really is something after death. It's resurrection. And here's what we know. This is what the biblical testimony is, and I wouldn't be faithful to the scripture if I didn't tell you what resurrection means for you this morning. We know that Jesus, rising from the dead, he is pointing forward to a day when all who have died will be raised. The resurrection is not just simply for those who believe in Christ. The resurrection is a message for those who don't as well. And that message is that some will be raised to everlasting life and others to eternal condemnation and separation from God. That's the resurrection. Some will be raised to everlasting life and others to eternal condemnation and separation from God. May I just be completely, completely honest. The burden on my heart this morning is that we would see from this text that it is actually a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a beautiful thing and I will get to the comfort in a minute But I need you to see the reality that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a a fearful thing to treat Jesus simply as a coffee mug commodity. It will not do. He is Lord, and that means something for your life, and it means something for your death. It means something for your death. Here's the invitation. Association with Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, it is uncomfortable. It's dangerous. And it is life-changing. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Here's what the resurrection means for you. If Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. And those of us who put all of our chips in on Christ will see him there. And we will respond with joy and gratitude and eternal satisfaction but those of us who deny and detract and continue to run, who do not see the restorative power of the resurrection, who who deny its existence. Well, my friends, that is not the response you will have when you are risen. It will be one of fear and of trembling. I've been thinking a lot about Easter lately and resurrection and what it means. Um, Many of you know that my my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer recently. Um, My mom, well I wouldn't wouldn't be here today if it weren't for her, for a variety of reasons. I wouldn't be pastoring if it weren't for my mom and just how graciously she poured into my life for years. Um, That's life-changing news. It is. It's life-changing news to find that out. It causes you to start to think about things a little bit differently. Causes you to start to operate differently and move differently and you start to have different conversations with your parents and different conversations with your siblings and even start to look at your own life differently. It's weird. It's life-changing news. So I've been thinking about Easter a lot. I have a three-year-old son who Is still trying to figure out what Easter is. So I told him a few weeks ago, I said, are you just really excited for Easter? And he said, what's Easter? As if this isn't the biggest day in the whole year. So I I sat down with my son and um, started to talk, because we've been talking about how Ama, which is my mom, has been sick and I've been trying to gently and carefully prepare him for what that's gonna look like when he sees her and trying to navigate those waters in ways that are wise and yet putting all of our chips in on Christ still. And so having these conversations about Amma being sick and um, to be able to know that because my mom has placed all of her chips in on Christ that on that day when I am resurrected, my mom will also be resurrected and she will be with the Lord and there we will be with him forever is a ridiculously comforting thing. I don't know if there is a greater theology for the Christian's hope than that of the resurrection because what the resurrection tells us is that the application for Easter is that you have eternal hope in life and in death. And you have eternal hope in life and in death for those who know the Lord. And it's incredibly comforting. What we celebrate today is not simply Easter eggs and hot cross buns. What we celebrate today is not simply coffee mugs and t-shirts and check marks on a box. What we celebrate today is that the resurrection has changed our entire outlook on life. Associating with Jesus in his life, it is uncomfortable. Associating with Jesus in his death is certainly dangerous. But associating with Jesus in his resurrection, it's life-changing. And it, it really is the most important decision you can ever make. Let's pray. God, I recognize this morning that there are those in here who know you and there are those in here who do not. And so it is, it is with a deep burden in my heart that I ask that you would reveal yourself to them right now. Lord, that this might be a day where they said, or they can say, he was not in the tomb, and because he wasn't in the tomb, he met me <laughs> where I was. Lord, for those of us in Christ, may we not walk out of here simply, ah, this is another Easter sermon, may we walk out of here with a renewed outlook on the beauty of the resurrection that you are bringing about restoration to all things. And it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's fearful. (laughs) It's terrifying. It's life-changing. May we not be satisfied with simply seeing you as a commodity in our life, but would we be people who associate with you in life, death, and resurrection? It's in your name we pray.